This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. And thank you so much for joining with us this morning. I don't even know where I'm putting my water in there now. For worshiping with us. We are going to be in uh, Hebrews for the better portion of the service this morning. We are continuing in the book of Nehemiah, but I'll, and I'll explain that as we go. But uh, sometimes as a leader, you have to really sell a vision so that people can see what is taking place, see what the goal is, and, and kind of uh, even what was done today with the pictures and the slides and the videos, we were able to see a little bit of what's taking place at the camp there in New Mexico. But... But when we look at this story and we look at the the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah wasn't necessarily having to sell a vision to the people. The people saw what was taking place. The people were very well aware of everything that was going on there. Uh, It wasn't anything new to them. They saw the destruction of the wall. They saw that the, the safety. They saw all of those things. And Nehemiah wasn't necessarily selling a vision as much as Nehemiah came in to... uh, To really get engaged and say, hey, God has sent me to do and be a part of what we already see. Let's go and do something with it. When it comes to God and when it comes to how He's using you and how He uses us, I've been saying this over and over and over for the last uh, several weeks. But really, uh, it comes back to these same same words that we've said over and over. Relationship. A relationship builds that faith. So that we are in tune with Him, and as I'm in tune with Him, I can see, I can hear, I can understand the burden that God has placed before me, and I grab a hold of that burden, and as I do so, He lays that before me, and as I'm willing to walk that bold journey as we talked about last week, God uses people. Today, I would, have, I would say this, I don't have to sell you on the things that are not good around us. Listen, I don't have to, to walk you through and take you, to the, take you to pictures and take you to slideshows to show you the destruction that we are witnessing within our country. I don't have to take you to those places. I don't have to take you outside of the walls of this church to see, to, so that you can see the destruction that's taking place within the family. It's very well clear, it's very, it's very well noted, the destruction of the home within the United States of America. I don't have to sell you on that. At least I hope I don't have to sell you on that. The homes are falling apart all around us. Children are wayward. Why? Not because children are bad. Children are wayward because they don't have an adult that's leading them to show them, to guide them, to teach them morality, to teach them the things, and they're at home all by themselves. I don't have to tell you those things. I don't have to sell you that vision. But what I do need to do as a the pastor, the leader of this church is to do what I can and to do so with the leadership to continue to lead us to love on the people outside of the walls, to love on those that are inside of the walls, to do and be engaged in discipleship, to be engaged in evangelism of of sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ and to be engaged in all these things. And I need you to be a part of that. Nehemiah 3 is one of those chapters, really, if you go through the Scriptures and you look at different passages all throughout Scripture, have you ever gotten to a place where it is, it's a passage of genealogies? Where it's like, 
such and such begat such and such begat such and such begat such and such begat such and such and you feel like it never ends. Really, in some ways, if you read this passage of Scripture, in some ways it's kind of one of those things. It teaches, it speaks of certain people, and it speaks that they're doing work. And then next to them, this group of people is doing work. And next to them, this group of people is doing work. So it may not, in some regards, be the most exciting passage of Scripture to read. However, if you look into the depths of what is taking place, it is incredible what we are reading. It is incredible. Because throughout this group of people, throughout Jerusalem, throughout Israel, and we see this, it says things like this. It's not on the screen, but it says things like this. It says they builded the sheep gate and sanctified it. And then it says, next unto him, the men of Jericho, next unto them, builded Zakur, next unto them, it was Hasanah built the fish gate, and next unto them, these were people in Jerusalem and the neighboring areas around them that all came together to do what was laid before them. This was, if, you were to, if we were to do it in today's day and age, it would have been the Flanagans, and next unto the Flanagans, it would have been the, the, the Franks, and under the Franks, it would have been the, the Huggins, and next to the Huggins, it would have been the Hertz, and under the, next to the, them, it would have been, and it would, that's all it was, family after family of people that came together and said, I see a problem. There was a man that came and showed it to me, maybe a little bit more broadly, but I see it, and I'm willing to do something about it. And what's even more interesting, as you read through the passage, and I would encourage you to do so, there's 32 verses of them over the next several days, maybe go and read them, but it wasn't just some random, like, hey, why don't you guys come over here and do this? No, they were right outside of their wall, or right outside of their homes, there would have been a wall. And it would have been that family, and that group of people that was fixing that thing. Why? Why would Nehemiah have brought all of those things together? And how would Nehemiah have put all of that together and say, okay, your family is doing this. Do you know why? Because I have an invested interest in my area. I have a personal vested interest in my neighborhood. I don't know about you, but where I live, I want my neighbors and I want my area to be safe. I like knowing my neighbors around me. I like that. Some people are like, eh, it doesn't really matter. No, you know why it matters to me? Because when I'm gone over vacation, I like knowing that all of my neighbors know that I'm gone, and when random people go to my house, they're like, hey, text message, Aaron, I see somebody at your house. I don't know who that is. I, I like that. We have a vested interest. I have an invested interest in my cul-de-sac at my house. And so I am going to work to fix it if I can work to fix it. We want to keep it look nice. We want to do certain things. Why? Because it's, it's, invest, it's mine. That's my area. And these people went right outside of their walls and they began to work. And they began to work. Why? They had a personal invested area. I would say that to all of you. All of us. I've been saying this for a long time. That we need to love on our communities. Our communities being our homes and our neighbors and our neighborhoods. Because it's personal. It should be personal to us. Today I, I'm not striving to build a wall around this church to protect it. I'm not attempting to tell everybody outside of the walls of this church that we are right and that they are wrong. However, I am doing this. I believe that God's word is very clear that it is the truth 
of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ that is the truth that God's Word says it's the truth that sets us free. You and I have the truth. You and I have the message that every mankind, everybody that has ever walked this earth needs. And everybody that will ever walk the earth needs. We have the answers for many of the the problems that are outside. And we need to be about giving that to them and, and sharing that to them. But it says, what does it God's word say? That we are to do that, the truth in what? Wow, good. I am to present the truth in what? Love. Love. I didn't think that was going to be that difficult. Mike, you need to do a better job of teaching in your class. Small group leaders, we need to do a better job of teaching what we're doing here. No. But we, we are to present the truth. I'm going to kick that over and it's going to be right there. We need to present the truth what in love. I would say this, Christianity as a whole has a hard time presenting the truth in love. Because I'm right and you're wrong. And that's how we live so often. But God's word, as we look at this, we're going to present the truth in love. It should should be our goal to know God and know him more intimately as individuals. And as we draw, as we do so, it's going to draw us together as a family, causing us to reach those outside of the walls. And this morning, I'm going to use Nehemiah in a a broader sense, uh, chapter 3, to share the, the thought. But I'm going to go to get to that. I'm going to hit in Hebrews chapter number 10 this morning. And I believe Hebrews chapter 10 speaks to several things that if we do these things, what we're seeing and what we're reading in Nehemiah chapter 3 becomes very, very clear and very natural to us. Because if I allow my faith to be active and if I allow some of these things that we'll see in Hebrews 10 to portray or come out of my life naturally, it's not going to be an issue for me to go with my family and to go build that wall. It's not going to be an issue for me to do some of the things that we're looking at in in Nehemiah chapter 3. As we go to Hebrews chapter 10, I want us to think of this, this simple little thought this morning. The truth of the gospel burdens me to have faith, hope, and love causing me to build or to a to a bold restoring of my community. All of those words are words that we've used over and over throughout this series. But the truth of the gospel burdens me to have faith, hope, and love, causing me to a bold restoring of my community. Hebrews chapter number 10. I will get there. Hebrews chapter number 10. We'll start in verse number 19. We'll read to 25, and then we'll jump into uh, the points this morning. Verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Father God, I come to you this morning and I ask that you would take your word, that you would take uh, your word this morning and just speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that those that sit here, 
would have an open heart to what you have for them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The truth of the gospel burdens me to have an active faith. If we're looking at this morning, the title of the sermon is Restoring My Community. And if we're looking at what Nehemiah was doing, he was coming back into a town and he was restoring what was destroyed. He was restoring his community. And he did so last week by going in and presenting all of those things. He shared with them all of the things that had happened. He was, he was just kind of giving them a reminder. And then they actively now have went into those areas and now they begin to do the work that was need to be done. The truth of the gospel, as we look at it in Hebrews chapter 10, burdens me to have an active faith. I've said this so many times, that God created us with relationship in mind. And as we look at this study and as we see Nehemiah building the walls, we look at some of these things. Why was he building the walls? It was, it was a protection. It was a protection for the city. It was a protection of the people. If you think about our lives and look at in our neighborhoods and all of those things, why do we put walls up? I have walls around my house. Pretty much everybody here has walls around their house. It's a protection. This is my property. I don't know whether we, you like it or you don't like it, but regardless, here where we live, there's walls around. When I grew up, we had no walls. It was, this was our lot and that was your lot. You know how we knew where the lot was? Who mowed first? Right? <laughs> right? One of our neighbors went and made a line, and then they would go from there and they would mow. Right? Some of you are like, I've never been outside of Las Vegas. I didn't know there was a thing called grass. <laughs> but no, we, would, we knew our property not because we had a wall in our property. We knew our property was this that tree to that tree, or maybe there was a fence line, or there was something else, but... Here we have walls. Walls are built for separation, for protection. We have them around our homes. We have them around our neighborhoods. We have them in a lot of different places. We put them up in our lives. How many of us have walls around us? We walk around and we're like, I will be your friend, but don't come any further than this. Don't ask me about this thing. I won't tell you about that thing. You don't need to know. We put walls. We have barriers all around us. But when it comes to the gospel, it's really no different we have walls in our lives. And when we look at this, if we want to look at it as a wall being a protector, right? So if a wall is a protector, what does sin do to that wall? It destroys it. Sin destroys the wall. Sin destroys all of those things. And, and maybe it's a silly illustration, but, but sin tore down the wall of protection, if you will, in our hearts and our lives. It made us vulnerable to the enemy. And it, is the and it is only in Christ's death that we can then have that protection in that life. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, I I've said this so many times, what happened after they sinned? Immediately after they sinned, they saw their nakedness. They saw right and wrong. They now recognized there was a difference. The walls had come down. The protection that they had was no longer there. That sin destroyed that. And as we go through some of these things... It took death to give us life eternally, as we'll see in this passage. It takes the death of ourselves to then have life. You and I have or have had a decision that we, needed, that we need to make in our lives. Some of you have made a decision to follow Christ. Others of you have not. 
But we have to answer some questions in our lives. What is the truth of the gospel? Who is Jesus Christ? Do I believe this? Will I place my faith in Jesus Christ? Do I believe that his death does give me life? And in Hebrews, we see that it's by the blood of Jesus. If we were to look at this passage in chapter, or chapter 10 and 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? The blood of Jesus. It's the blood that was shed that we can have this faith, that we can access the holiest of holies, that we can have that access to Christ. It's in the verse number 20. It says, by a new and living way, by a new and living way. If you were to go back to the Old Testament, how did they have access to God? Through a priest, through a high priest. They had to go to somebody. And through that person, they could then, he would pray, he would, there was the sacrifices, there was all those things, but this new way that they now have access because of what? A sacrifice, the blood that was shed from Jesus Christ, that, that we had this new living way. It says in the, in the scriptures and the gospels, when Jesus was hung upon a cross and he said, it is finished, that from the top to the bottom, the veil was tore, we now had entrance, we had access. It was no longer me going to another man to then have access. I had direct access to God. And as we look at this passage in Hebrews, we're seeing all of these things, but it comes back to a saving knowledge and a saving faith of Jesus in Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says that we would or we should draw near, it says this, with a true or a pure or a sincere heart. If we want to get honest and we want to get real and we want to really look at what we're talking about and look at what Nehemiah was doing, they had an active faith. There was not a a faith that I'm going to sit back and I'm going to watch people. They were actively engaged in doing the things that they needed to do and why we look at this there's a true there's a pure seeking a consider or a sincere heart you know for you and I to do anything real and genuine for the cause of Christ it's going to take us to just have a true pure heart to actively seek Christ in the book of Acts, in chapter 8, there's a story of, of Simon the magician. What did Simon the magician do? Simon was able to do all kinds of different things. He, he, was, able, he was a magician, so he saw different things in his life. He, he, he did things, and what was he doing? If you recall the story, he was doing it, and then he would say it was in the name of Jesus, Right? He would say it was being done in the name of Jesus and and eventually uh, they came to and eventually Peter said unto him, you have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. He says, repent and pray the Lord that you could be forgiven. He was trying to act as if he was something that he wasn't. In order for you and I to truly do what God has called for us to do, we have to have that true, that pure heart to seek Him, but to actively seek Him. God's Word, one of the, I don't know if this is the right thing to say or not, but one of the scariest passages in Scripture to me. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and He will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Many will say, Lord, Lord, 
And then they will go, but Lord, but, but I did this and I did this. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That isn't many who have never been in church. That is the people that claim Jesus in their lives but don't know him. That is this church. It's scary to me to think that many people that have claimed Christianity will go to heaven, will stand before God and say, but Lord, 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 I... And he will say, depart from me, for I I never knew you. Because it's not about doing the works of God, it's about having a pure heart and seeking God. And as I know him, it's a knowledge of God. It's it's not a, a head knowledge, it's a heart, having that pure heart to do what God has called us to do. We must spiritually come inside the walls of Christ, if you will, and be protected we must come to a place of right standing before God and live it out. That we would be in right standing. That we would have a right relationship. I'm telling you, and I, I, I can say this until I'm blue in the face, when you know God, you act on your faith. When I know God, I act on my faith. So when we look at this passage of Scripture as we go to the second thought, the truth of the gospel burdens me to have an active faith. Hebrews, here what we're looking at, they were being challenged to have an active faith, to truly hold fast and stand firm on what their faith was. The second thought this morning is the truth of the gospel burdens me to have an active hope. This entire passage is the gospel being brought to life, really, if you will. It is having accepted the gospel and then continually building upon it. Our faith becomes active and our hope becomes active. Some, when I first started reading this, I'm thinking, how does my hope become active? How is my hope active? Verse 23 says it fairly clearly. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. As I was doing my study and looking at it, let us hold fast the confession of my hope without wavering. It is, a, it is at hope, and, and the more that I read, and the more that I studied, and the more that I thought, it begins to make sense. See, in this passage of Scripture, just similar to even maybe what we would say today, but probably a little bit more, they were being challenged to deny the faith in the confession of Jesus Christ. Turn away. Deny it. It's not real. It's a joke. It's whatever it would be. And they were being challenged. They were being pushed. They were being prodded to leave the confession that they made of following Jesus Christ. And here the author says, no, 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 no. But let us, uh, but let us hold fast to that profession. Stand firm. Be firm in your profession of Jesus Christ. What are we standing firm in? I'm standing firm by my faith, but I'm standing firm because I have a hope of what it is. Why did Stephen be, why was Stephen stoned? He was stoned for his faith. But why was he able to stand unmovable and say, no, I will not denounce Jesus Christ. I will stand firm. And even beyond that, I will say, God, don't put this fault on them. Why could he do that? Yes, because of his faith, but he had a hope of what was tomorrow. He trusted in it. He had a hope of tomorrow. When we believe it, our actions should Follow with what we're saying that we believe, right? Hypocrisy? Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Nobody likes hypocrisy. We scream against it. But so much of our lives are hypocritical oftentimes. 
Maybe it's unintentional. But when we look at this, we would hold firm that our, our, our faith would be active, but our, our hope would be active. Stay the course of the gospel. It isn't just, uh, it's, it isn't just saying, well, I, 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 I came forward one day, or I said this prayer, or I did this thing. No, it's, it's I'm, I'm living it. I'm seeking Him. I'm following after Him. I'm actively pursuing In this hope that we have in Him. Because of our faith that causes an action, the same is true with our hope. John 8 and 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then are ye My disciples indeed. It is our faith and our hope. It is an active process. We will continue in the word. We will continue in seeking Him. It is a sad thing that so many believe yet fall away so quickly. You know what's sad to me? Statistically speaking, right now, I don't know how many are in there today, but we'll say 35 children that are in there this morning. Of that 35 children, of those 35 children, 75 to 80% of those children will not grow up and remain in church. That's alarming. 75, 75 to 80% of children who grew up in church, graduated from church, left the youth group, never will step foot in church again. That's alarming. And we look at this. I could probably become very real with that statement and say a lot of that is our fault in this room. Because I, I, I did the right thing and I made sure that my children were in church. But an active faith and an active hope wasn't real in my home after church. It's got to be active. And that doesn't say that that's going to make 100% change all those things. But no, but a lot of that, it's a teaching, it's a training. It's, 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 church isn't an option in my home. It's who we are. It's a part of my life. God isn't just some person that's, that's out there and, and we celebrate Him on Christmas and we do this or we do that. No, it's not about that. This is who we are. My life revolves around God, not God around my life. We have to go back to this passage of Scripture right here. Je- uh, Jesus to those Jews who, which believed on it. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. We have to continue in the word of God daily. Then you are my disciples. Why? Because it becomes an active part every day of my life. We must remain faithful and active in our faith and our hope. We must maintain faith. We must continue to seek Him. We must continue to be actively holding firm to the confession. We cannot waver. We must stand firm. A true believer's faith and hope are never in vain. Think about this as we go towards the next point. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24, Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. 
I will promise you something's going to come up this week that's going to startle you a little bit. Life is not going to be perfect this week. I think of you guys making a transition of life to, to be engaged and invested in this new camp adventure. We're going to try to raise money. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And God has called me to do this. And God has called us to do this. And we're going to do it. And we're going to do it. And we're going to do it. I will promise you, as you already know, something's going to come up and you're going to have to go, you know what? Well, maybe I just need to do this part time and I'll do this part time. The funds are only coming in this much. And so maybe I'll just do this. No, God, if God is in it and God is calling, he is faithful to complete what he has started in each and every one of us. We can all be like, yeah, that's right for that family. No, it's not for this family. It's for my family, and it's for your family, and your family, and your family. If he has called you to do it, he will be faithful to finish it. Here's the problem. Guess who isn't faithful? Me. There's never one time where I've turned back and I'm like, God, where are you? And he hasn't always been right there. I may have gone over here, but he's never left. He is faithful to finish. This verse says to hold fast because he who promised is faithful. Are you living with an act of hope? A promised hope that, that He, your God, is faithful and will do as He has promised. Each and every one of us in this room, if you are serving God and you are seeking God, you've seen things, you've heard things, you've been hurt, you've hurt somebody, you've, all of this stuff that happens in life. But I would say this. As I walk with Him daily, actively trusting Him, actively Giving my placing my faith in him actively. Man, I can I have a hope that's tomorrow. And I'll do certain things because I know what whole who holds the future. I know what that stuff is. And based on those things, I, I can I can have a, a confidence in my life because of what he said that he will do. That comes through knowing him. That comes through knowing him, actively seeking him. If we want to restore this community, your community, then we have to have an active hope. That active hope will allow me to stand firm, to hold fast, knowing and trusting that what we know He will do. I have a hope in tomorrow because of my faith. Therefore, I act in such a manner. Let us have an active hope in restoring our community. The truth of the gospel burdens me To act in faith. The truth of the gospel burdens me to act in hope. The truth of the gospel burdens me to act in love. If we were to look back in Nehemiah chapter 3, we saw people from all over the city, in and out of the city, coming and saying, I would be a part to build this. Some of them built the sheep gate. Some of them built this portion of the wall. Some of them built this gate. Some of them built that gate and all of those things. But it was a group of people who came together because they had one goal in mind. I am going to finish this. I am going to. We are coming together and we are going to do this. I look at some things like as simple as this. 
we've got decorations. Some of you might be really annoyed because you're trying to see the screens through all of the stuff hanging in the ceilings. You're, you're thinking of whatever it is. I don't know. You look at this and it might be bothering you. Um, we're going to blow stuff up when everything's done with all of these barrels of butane, whatever this stuff is. We're really not. We're really not. They're all empty. But you know, why do we do these things? Why is it that all of this stuff is being done? Because we are trying to act in love to those that are around this community to say, hey, we love you. We love you enough not just to give you free things, but we love you enough to tell you Jesus Christ loves you. We love you enough to, to invest into this. I don't know about you. I don't know if you grew up in any kind of uh, Sunday school or any kind of church. It was after a vacation Bible school that I gave my life to Jesus as a kid. I accepted Christ after vacation Bible school. I don't know what you care about or what you don't care about. I know for me, I can just speak personally for me, I have a passion for young people. I have a passion for young people. I may not be able to change their home, but I can love on a child and give a child a different hope that they might not have at home. There's been so many times in student ministry that I've taught children, I've taught teenagers, and I've told them things, and I've told them things, and I've told them things, and they go home, and they, they've heard the complete opposite their entire life. And it was moment after moment after moment of just loving on a teenager. And eventually, mom and dad begin to call. Hey, I don't understand this. Why is my child acting like this? What's going on? As we act in faith, as we act out and, and, and our hope becomes real, it's natural that it becomes, it, it's done in love. And as a community, if you just, if you, you think about this, when you love a community or you are vested with where you're at, things change. I'm not a Golden Knights crazed maniac. I'm not. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy sports. I'm not going to watch the hockey any more today than I did this past year. I'm going to cheer for them. I'm going to enjoy it. But do you know what something simple as a sport did for Las Vegas in October? It brought people together. It brought people together. Here's what I would say to you and I as a church. As cool as sports are, I love them. I've played them my whole life. I've never lost sleep over watching any sport, ever. Didn't happen. Some of, I've, I've been asked this question many times. Hey, did you, how was Friday night? Did you lose sleep because your Cavs lost? No, I promise you, I did not lose one moment of sleep over the Cavs losing, nor did I over the Golden Knights losing. You're a jerk. That's fine. I, I'm not that emotionally invested in sports. Let's go play a game. I might lose my... Uh, my testimony over playing a game <laughs> not much watching it but anyway listen what does it do the the golden knights for las vegas brought a group of people together why because they had one central theme we're all going to cheer for the golden knights it's a hockey team of people that are millionaires and i don't want to burst your bubble they don't care about you because next week they're going to be on free agency and 
Ottawa is going to be like, hey, I need you. Here's an extra five million. Ah, oh, sweet. Las Vegas, it was fun. And they're going to walk over here. And they're going to go to that town and they're going to play. Some of you, I just hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. But here's the reality. We have the only thing that matters eternally. And we would rather argue and fight about it. It doesn't make sense. The one thing that is the most important thing, the only thing that is eternal, is God. Like, He is the, not the only thing. That, I said that wrong. We are all eternal. We will all live forever. He is the eternal God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the only, He's that. We will live eternally in heaven or hell. So I said that wrong. Please forgive me. But when we look at these things, Man, the nights are fun. I'm, I'm, I know I, I kind of made fun of that, but it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. It brought people together. A sporting event brought people together. And it has for as long as team sports has been around. People that don't like each other, you put on a jersey that is their team, and they're like, yeah, go, whatever, and they're high-fiving. But as we come to church and we look at it in the sense of God the truth of the gospel should burden me in such a manner that my actions are that of love it's going to stir me to have a stronger faith it's going to stir me to act out with my hope it's going to stir me but all of those things is going to drive me to do it in love and as we look at all of this passage of scripture we look at this and it says let us consider one another i don't know about you but i don't know how many times i've told my children if you would just consider one another if you have kids you understand they will just argue because it's just fun to argue why does she put her hair like that? I don't know. Why do you care? Right? We would consider one another. What if our church acted like this passage of Scripture tells us to act? Consider one another and provoke, it says, provoke unto love and to good works. What if we as the church, I can't control, well, I can't control any of you, but I can't control anything that goes on in any other church, but here's what I can encourage in mine, that we would love and consider one another and that we would proke and prod each other to love each other, to move us to the good works that we are called to do. What if we did that? What if we as a church, I don't care if there's 150 or 150 million people, it doesn't matter. If one person truly seeks the face of God and loves and considers each other and does what God has us to do, let alone 150 people. What a difference that would make inside of this community. Honestly, you're one person inside of your workplace. What if you decided, I am going to consider the person that sits beside me that drives me crazy. What if we did that? That's what God is calling us to do, but that's what we're to do. We're to act in love. Here in this passage of Scripture, it says that let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. What if instead of me poking and prodding to just antagonize somebody? 
I poked and prodded and I encouraged them to love others, to do the right thing. I would call that accountability. What if we were accountable to each other in the actions that we do, in the things that we say, in the, in the ways and the manner in which we carry ourselves? What if we did that? Here in Nehemiah, they came together as a community and they got to work. Is the gospel real in your life? Is the gospel real in your life? If so, then we should do something about it. If I love Christ, if the gospel is real in my life, and I look outside of my walls, and I look in the mirror at myself, and I look at all of these different things, I would, I will, I would say this. My life should show just that. If I don't like what I see, and I sit on my backside and do nothing about it, Do I really care? Do I care? I've said this a lot. Do I care that my neighbor is dying and going to hell? You're like, that's pretty harsh. It's, it's fact. And I'm not saying that to you. That's the same question I have to ask myself. Do I really care? Do we as a church care enough to tell as many people as we can about the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Do we care enough? Do we care enough? These people in Nehemiah cared enough about the protection of their city and the protection of their people that they didn't just sit there, they got off their backside and they got to work. This passage that we would act in love, expressing in love, and it continues on in 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, Listen, I'm not here just to tell you that you need to be in church. You're here. Thank you. I've heard it so many times. Pastor, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I, I just, I don't, I don't need to be in church. I get it. I, you can be a Christian, a believer in God, and sit at home. I will say this boldly, outside of, somebody that's just unable to do some of that, if you are not seeking and actively engaged with people of God, you cannot actively grow the manner that God has called us to grow. Because he has designed you and me with the need of relationship with him, most importantly, but he's placed us in our lives. Why? So that we can continue to press forward in our lives. We need each other. I need this place not because it pays my bills as a pastor. That is great. But I need Oasis. I need you to be my friends, to hold me accountable, to do the right thing, to do all those things, to poke me and to prod me unto the, the love and the good works that I need to be about. And listen, this morning, as we kind of wrap this up, restoring my community, looking at this passage of Scripture in Nehemiah, as, as so many people came from all many, so many different walks of life to, to do the work that they were called to do, and as we look at it in our culture and in our context of going outside of our walls and, and reaching people for the cause of Jesus Christ, if I am to restore, it has to be done with a true and a pure heart, as we talked about earlier. But we have to do that as acting in faith acting out the hope that we have 
and acting that out in love to those around us. This morning, maybe you sit here and you would say, Pastor, I, I get some of that. We have to act out what we believe and blah, blah, blah. But maybe you would say, but I don't know my eternal situation. I don't know Jesus Christ. I talked about the sin, the walls coming down, and the relationship that God desires with me. Maybe you would say this morning, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with God. I've never placed faith in Him. And for you, the foundation of everything that we talked would just simply be, I, would, I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ. For others of us, you would say, no, Pastor, I know Christ the Savior. I, I, I am, I'm committing to Him. I, I, I go to church. I'm here. Maybe it's just a reminder of acting out in faith. The burden that God has given us needs to be acted in our faith, in our hope, and in love. That we would do something. I'll, I'll end it with this. Do we care? Do I care enough to do something about what I say I care about? <laughs> Does that make sense? Do I care enough? This stuff here. I would ask you this, do you care enough to come and serve all of these children? No, I'm just kidding, because some of you would be like, please don't, please don't. I don't need that guilt trip because I don't like kids. But no, would you, would you be invested in this week? Because there's going to be 40, 50, 60, 70 kids, I don't know how many will be here, that are going to hear the gospel every day this week. Would you be invested to pray over those children? It doesn't take, there's a lot of things that we can do. But do I care? Do I care? Am I burdened enough that my faith would be active? Am I burdened enough that I would hold fast to that hope that I have and that I would act it out? In love? Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info at oasislv.church.